Hey, well, let's play a game together. How many of y'all like games? Okay, some of you. All right. So, hey, if you haven't gathered over the last few weeks, when I talk to you, I want you to talk back to me. You got it? Okay, pretend like you're an old Southern Baptist tent revival in the middle of summer and it's hot and sweaty and you got fans going and you're talking back because you want to get out faster. All right, so if you talk to me, I'm going to talk to you and we're going to get out a little bit faster. I've got about a 15-minute sermon, but if you don't talk to me, we're going to, we're going to be here a long time. Okay? So I've already got my reservations for lunch. I'm good. All right, so let's play a game together. Y'all ready? Okay, it's called Playing Favorites. Y'all got favorites of everything and anything, all that kind of stuff? So here's our... Our first one, we're going to show you, hopefully. How many of you like Coke? Ah, a couple of you. All right. You going to know what the next one is? Hey, Amen. There is no, yeah. I mean, yeah. Woo! That's right. Revival right there. Dr. Pepper. Okay? The next one. Dr. Pepper wins. Oh. Oh. Or? Yeah. There we go. Good deal. Jesus is showing up. Here we go. What else we got? Yeah. So there is no other choice. So we're good. No, I'm just kidding. Or. Have to start a new class. All right. What's next? Oh. That's for all you youngins. Justin Bieber or. Oh, there we go. Had to work that in, right? ZZ Top, we're good. I couldn't find Charlie Pride, Butch. I don't know where he's at, but... All right, next one. That's kind of weak. All right, or... There is no place else. Good job. Good job. All right, as we continue in James, we're going to be talking about this morning playing favorites. And so James, if you've noticed over the last few weeks, he's been giving us some very practical faith-based stuff that we can deal with as far as how we do relationships, how we do life, and looking in the mirror and what we really see, and that there's going to be trials, there's going to be temptations, and that sometimes as Christians we like to clean up not only for church, but we also like to clean up Christianity and what life really is like, that even though we come to Jesus That doesn't solve everything. We still have life to deal with. And so James is really delving into the basics of what it means to be a human and fleshing out this Christianity thing and that you're going to have trials. You're going to have temptations. You're going to have people that speak truth to you and it's going to hurt and you're going to have to decide what to do with it. And so here this morning, James is going to be talking about playing favorites and he gives us several illustrations of what that looks like and what that can possibly be. So this morning, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to James chapter 2, and we're going to work through the first 13 verses together and thinking about how do we play favorites in church and in life. So if you have your Bibles, look with me to James chapter 2, verse 1. It says this, My brothers and sisters, as believers, that's anyone that has a relationship with Jesus, and our glorious Lord Christ, don't show favoritism. Boom, stop. Underline that in your Bibles. You have my permission. Underline don't show favoritism favoritism, underlying believers. Okay, this is a new Christian ethic that Paul is rolling out because all other societies, even still today, outside of Christianity, favoritism is a way that we choose who we hang out with. 
that we choose the way that we dress so that we can fit into certain groups and that we literally look at people and begin to judge them and say, hey, you can be a part of my group or you cannot be a part of this group. And so favoritism is now out within Christianity. What James is saying is this idea of favoritism is when someone walks up to you and you see them for the first time, we have this natural ability to begin to say, hmm, have you ever had that? You've ever done that? You see someone and you begin to do what? Judge, right? And so you begin to judge. Mm, I don't know. He's, his hair's not right. They may have some tattoos. Got, they don't look like me. And so we begin to do this. And when we're judging, in that moment, what we're trying to do is we're trying to raise up who we think we are, place ourselves a little bit higher on the pedestal so that we can keep others down below us. Been there, done that, right? So we begin to say, listen, we be, in that moment of judgment, we're trying to say, listen, I'm a little bit better than you are because you've got this and I don't. And so God, here James is saying, this is that idea of whenever someone walks in the room that you literally, you lift up their face and you do an inspection of them as if they're cattle, like the, like the livestock show going on at the fair, that you, you look at them and you go, oh, yep, the hindquarters, and you begin to do all this stuff, and you're judging them. And that's the same thing that we do when we judge, is that we're looking for some reason to find fault because we're not confident in who we are. But listen, our identity is now different. It doesn't matter what we look like. It doesn't matter any of that stuff. We're now identified with Christ. And so our favoritism is something that now goes by the wayside because in a church, everyone is equal. At the foot of the cross, the ground is level, and every single one of us have our stuff that we've got to bring to the cross. And so Jesus isn't there saying, raising up our eyes to look at him and say, mm, no, you got some imperfections. He's raising you up, and he's looking you in the eyes and saying, you are imperfect, therefore that's why I'm giving my life for you. This whole new ethos and moral way of looking and doing life is that literally we naturally look at people and we begin to judge them and begin to place them lower because we desire to look and to feel great about ourselves and what jesus is saying listen it doesn't matter all that other stuff the ways that we judge each other and, and try to make ourselves look good and feel good about ourselves all that stuff has gone by the wayside because now our identity is not in how i dress the car I drive, the house I live in, or any of that stuff, my identity is found in Christ and Christ alone. And so if that's where my identity is, and that's where I'm living, then it doesn't matter if someone else has imperfections, because if I'm reading this and having the mirror look back, I realize, listen, I'm just as ugly. I do have a hair out of place. Right? So this idea of favoritism and judging... That in the gospel, everyone is equal. Everyone is equal. Look at Jesus' even his genealogy. He had kings and queens and prostitutes and outcasts. Listen, any of you got somebody in your family line you're not proud of? <laughs> Maybe it's you. <laughs> right? None of us are perfect. None of us of our families are perfect. Even Jesus' genealogy kind of destroys that. As a matter of fact, even the disciples and all the rabbis and the teachers, one day they came to Jesus and they said, Listen, we like you, Jesus. You teach with great authority, but maybe even greater is that you do not care what other people say about you. 
You don't care. People are judging you. They're passing judgment. They don't, don't like that you teach on Sunday. They don't like how you do healings. They've got all kinds of criticism. And Jesus just keeps going because he has an agenda and a purpose, and that's to bring the kingdom of God to the earth. And he's just moving forward. He doesn't care about people's situation. He just wants to know, do you love me? Even when you mess up, Peter, do you love me? Are you striving to love me? It's not about perfection. It's not about favoritism. It's about the gospel of Christ and the level ground at the cross. If you have your Bibles, turn over to Romans chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. It says this, There will be trouble and distress for every human being that does evil. And this idea of evil is to intentionally do harm to someone else, that you pursue harming them, first for the Jew, okay, then for the Gentile. But glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does good. And that, again, the flip side of that is instead of intentionally looking to do harm, it's the idea of intentionally looking at a way to serve and to do good to others. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. Say this verse with me. For God does not... Okay, let's do that again. For God does not... Awesome. Who does he pick over someone else? Does he have someone that he likes more than anybody else? All right, y'all want to go to lunch, right? God does not show favoritism. I don't watch a whole lot of these reality shows, but every once in a while I'll catch something. And you ever seen America's Got Talent, any of you? A couple of you, you've heard about it. Okay, all these different talent shows, singing shows and stuff. Uh, when I was in fifth grade, we did this um, test where you had to come in, you had to do show that you had rhythm or that you could sing and all that. And I took it, and the, um, my music teacher, she was a sweet lady, she came up and she put my arm around me and she said, hey, Chris, I love you, but you just walk right past that band hall and the choir hall straight to the field house. Because you ain't got nothing in you that says music. So keep going. So I would be one of those guys that you'd get up on America's Got Talent. I'd start doing something. People would just roll laughing, right? So you've had those moments where you're watching someone on America's Got Talent. And immediately when you see them at first, you think, oh, this is going to be funny. There's no way this person has talent. And then the next thing you know, they say, hey, go for it. And they begin to sing. And you can just see the judges how their whole attitudes and their faces changed. Why? Because they had prejudged based upon someone's appearance and how they set themselves up and the image that they had at that moment. All of a sudden, no, this person has no talent. They haven't spent any time. There's, they don't have anything. And then immediately they open their mouth and boom, it's there. And people are surprised. Listen, we need to be on the flip side of that. Instead of lifting up our, people's faces and begin to do judgments and begin to show favoritism and all that we need to be allow people to surprise us with who they are instead of being surprised after we judge them before we even judge them allow ourselves to get to know them and who they are and their character and how god's been working in their heart and life and be surprised not by who they are but be surprised that god is doing some great things and would allow us to get to know and to be in relationship with this person this is a new ethic. And listen, let's admit, it's extremely difficult. Because even today, you walked into this room. We all walked into this room and you saw somebody and you began to begin to think about, what about their hair? What about their dress? What about X? It's just natural human nature. But James is telling us, listen, here's a new ethic. 
instead of looking up their face and saying, judging from the outside, begin to judge from the inside, the heart and the character of the person. I want you to repeat this phrase with me that's going to show up on the screen. This is going to be the mantra of Second Baptist Church. What does it say? I don't know that you're convinced of that. Ready? Here we go. So if you're perfect, the doors are right there and right there. You're free to go. Listen, that's what this place is about. None of us have arrived. None of us are going to arrive. And so the moment that you arrive at perfection, we're going to be happy for you. Send us a note from Hawaii or the Caribbean, and we'll be glad to have you still continue to tithe and to give because you've reached perfection. Because that means we've done a great job. I mean, you've been listening and you figured it out and you don't need us anymore. This is a place where we want and we expect and we anticipate that everyone that walks through this door is human. And that week before they got here has probably not been perfect. And the last thing that this place needs to be is a place where we're lifting up and going, hey, mm, I see something about you that I don't like. Because listen, we can go around this room and I can, we can point out stuff about everybody. Let's look in the mirror first, as James has been telling us, and deal with our own stuff. When you get your own stuff right, then we can start working on other people's. Okay? Let's do life in relationship together. It's strong and tough to be able to do that, but that's some, it takes time to develop those relationships to be able to speak truth into, into each other. But listen, you've got to work on your own stuff. Those I've done marriage counseling for a lot of years, and, and the first place that I've been doing it isn't even my own because my marriage is far from perfect. And so I know what an imperfect marriage looks like. So if you need some help from someone that knows what an imperfect marriage looks like, come to me because I know what it looks like. And you know what? The very first thing that when they teach you in marriage counseling is the very first thing that you've got to do to fix your marriage is to draw a circle around yourself and begin work here. Because too many times you're trying to fix the person on the outside of the circle. And what you're trying to fix is what you see in them that's reflecting back on who you truly are. And what you see them reflecting back to you is like, man, I don't want to be that person, so let's fix them. Because I don't want to do the hard work on me. It's much easier to, to put our focus on others and to judge them and to, to play favorites with them rather than to draw the circle around ourselves and like, listen, Chris, you've got some hard work to do. Get in there with the P90, P90X and do the crunches. But that's hard work. Playing favorites is easy, but doing the work and drawing the circle, no perfect people allowed. All right, we've got to speed up so you guys get to lunch. Verse 2. Suppose a man comes into your meeting today. This is just an illustration that James is giving us, talking about favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring, flashing his stuff, fine clothes, and a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing the fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but you say to the poor man, you stand there and sit on the floor by my feet, have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges? with harmful, again, intentionally harmful thoughts. You heard that phrase? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but... 
That is such a lie, isn't it? We learned that in kindergarten. That words are the most hurtful. Let's not raise hands. But if not some of the most hurtful words come from a place like this. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words may never... That's such a lie. Again, James tells us even earlier, he says, you have two ears and one mouth. Listen more, talk less. When you do talk, make sure it counts and it brings wisdom and life and not intentionally harm those around you. Listen, my brothers. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have insulted the poor. Is it not that the rich that are exploiting you, are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are slandering the noble name of him to whom you belong? Well, see, what's common in those days is James is, is talking to this. This is their culture. They understand that the very first followers of Jesus, most of them were poor. Or if they were wealthy and they became, if they were wealthy Jews and they became Christians, a lot of times they lost all of their wealth. They had to give up everything to join the family of Jesus Christ. And it's continuing to happen all over the world that many of those that are converting from Islam, that they are maybe wealthy, but the very moment that they convert from Islam to Christianity, they're literally saying, I deny everything else but Jesus Christ. And so they lose their family, they lose their house, they lose their bank accounts, they lose everything because they are so convinced of the truth of who Jesus is. And so you can imagine, here's this radical group of people that they're living life and they are so convinced of who Jesus is and the resurrection of Jesus that they're willing to throw away everything to follow this guy and to join this group that they're seeing amazing things happen. And so here's James is saying, listen, don't throw that away. Because human nature is easily swayed by money. We can see it in our politics, can't we? We're easily swayed. It's just, again, it's human nature. We see someone that's dressed well, that we perceive that they've got it together. And we want that. We want to be at that place. And so immediately, what do we do? We judge and say they've got it together. They're better than us. Their life is perfect. Their life is a better situation. You pursue that. James saying, listen, don't be distracted by that stuff. Continue on the mission of Jesus. Verse 8. If you really keep the royal law of Scripture. Now this is this idea of, of um, royal law is that whenever a king offered an edict, there was no court of appeals. When the king said, you're going to eat oatmeal at 6 a.m., guess what happened in his kingdom? Everyone ate oatmeal at 6 a.m. or there was a cost. All right? So here in verse 8, James is saying, listen, if you really keep the royal edict of King Jesus found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. You are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by law as lawbreakers. Forever he keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty by breaking all of it. For he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. If you did not commit adultery, but you do commit murder, you've become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs judgment. 
Listen, the next thing I want you to see is this, is perfection is a game that no one wins. Perfection is a game that no one wins. Have you ever played that game? You put those little stuff in there, and boom, it pops up and it scares you. You know it's coming, but it scares you. The Jews played a game called perfection. And they knew that they couldn't win it, so they began to change the rules. And so what they did is every time that there was a commandment, they began to kind of keep check. They had a balance book. And so any time that they could keep a commandment, they would make a little check mark and say, hey, I'm good. And then if they messed up and they broke a commandment, they would put a little X by it and say, my bad. And their goal was is that they would have more check marks on things that they'd done well than things that they'd done bad. And that was their desire and their hope is that if God, if I've done enough good things and checked off enough good commandments and had less bad commandments, then I can earn my way into heaven. Even the, even the Jewish teachers misunderstood the gospel message even in the Old Testament. We do that today still. Most religions in the world, as a matter of fact, every religion in the world except for Christianity, that is their system upon how they do things. Why? Because a system of religion that is based upon checks and balances creates fear, and therefore you can be controlled. Christianity is not based on checks and balances of good and bad. It's based on a relationship with Jesus Christ. There is no favoritism. There is no checks and balances because we know that we're not perfect. We know that we're never going to meet up. And as a matter of fact, whenever the scales come back and forth, there's going to be that moment whenever everything happens here that we're still not, our sins are still going to outweigh our good. Why? Because even our good is made out of a selfish purpose, not of a desire to bring honor and glory to Christ. Fear and control. I was able to be in, in China a few years ago and... Um, obviously heavily Buddhist, and we got a, a unique opportunity to walk in. We met a, a, a Buddhist priest, monk, and we were able to spend some time talking with him. I didn't talk with him, but our missionary did, and just kind of going back and forth, and he took us back into the back. And so we were on the other side of where, you know, there was worship was happening, and uh, Buddhist temple is a unique place, but you walk into one room, just one room about the size of this, and there were over, we asked him how many idols were there. There were over 10,000 idols in that one room. And every little, every few feet, there were these little pedestals, and there was money sitting in there, and next to the pedestal of that, there were some candles. And I just asked, I was like, what, what are they doing? He's saying they are offering up sacrifices to every single one and praying to every single one of those idols because they want to make sure that their balances, that their weighted system, that they were in good with every single one of those idols. 10,000 in one room. There were about 25 other rooms that they still had to make it to. That's a lot of gods. I'm trying to just work at one. But the system of fear and control. Listen, a cult. Anytime you step outside the boundaries of Orthodox Christianity, fear and control drives it. Why? Because there's a system of checks and balances. There is no favoritism at the cross because there's not a system of checks and balances. It doesn't matter. No matter your past, no matter where you're at, Jesus says, listen, I, I'm here for you and you alone, and it doesn't matter. I don't have anybody. I don't care what anybody else says. Showing favoritism creates a system that requires perfection. But now we're in an old game that's got new rules. First John chapter 3, verse 16 and 19 says it this way. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. 
If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Flip over one more. Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. This is how we know we belong to the truth. In other words, don't tell me what you know. Show me what you know. Show me what you know. That you have experienced the no favoritism rules of Jesus. That you understood your past. You understood who you were and you came to the cross. And Jesus said, listen, I accept you as you are. I see it all. And if this was a stock show, you would fail. We would kick you out. You'd be grade DF failure. But I look at you with all the blemishes that you know that you have, and I know even more, and I still accept you. And I bring you in, and I say, you are beautiful. You are a unique creation. When I made you, I did not make a mistake. I don't make mistakes. I do not make junk. I make one-of-a-kind, original masterpieces. And you are, you are not blemished in my sight. You are the child of God. Redemption produces good works because it changes our eyesight. Listen, as you continue to grow in your faith and as you try to figure out this whole Christianity thing and how it, it changes us, one of the main things it does is it changes the way that you see people around you that you move from seeing people as objects of, of pleasure, seeing people as objects to, ch- to use, to begin to see them as opportunities to show the love of God. You begin to see them as your neighbor. That you look at the person on your right and the, the house on your left and the people behind you and you begin to see, and you begin to see opportunities of how you can meet their needs. Whenever James talks about loving your neighbor, he's saying, listen, look at those around you and see opportunities. If you see someone in need, that's a neighbor. That's a neighbor. Listen, we've seen people that are our neighbors all week long. And sometimes God puts it on our heart, hey, they might need something. Maybe they just need a smile. Maybe they just need you to walk up and just talk with them for a little bit. And we walk by because it's inconvenient. James says, listen, even those small things, take those moments. Say hi to your neighbor. Smile. Stop for a moment. Put gas in the car for a lady you pull up and someone's struggling. Take time out. It may be inconvenient, but redeemed eyes see neighbors everywhere. They begin to see people different. Because listen, you take care of yourself. You don't want to be harmed. You don't want to be lied to. You don't want to be cheated. You don't want to have someone steal from you. You don't want to have someone abuse you. And the same thing as that is that, listen, the same way that you love yourself, pursue loving your neighbor. Intentionally do good, not intentionally do evil. Look for those around you. Objects of purpose and pleasure no more. No perfect people allowed. That's our mantra. I want you, if you don't remember anything else about today, no perfect people allowed. Stand with me for a second. Can you do that during a sermon? Okay. Y'all ready? Once you say it as loud as you can. Here we go. No perfect people allowed. Hey, that means me. That means you. You are allowed. Why? Because no perfect 
people are loud. As you go out this week, I pray that God redeems your eyes. That you don't see black, you don't see Hispanic, you don't see tattoos, you don't see crazy hair, you don't see earrings and and all that different stuff. You're not going to see it at LaGrange ISD because their their code's too strict. But everywhere else you're going to go, you're going to see them. And thank God they don't look like you. Not because they're different, because God has individually created them and he has a purpose and a plan for them. But begin to see them not as what you have seen them in the past, as black or white or Hispanic or whatever, and maybe not even think, man, I can't even invite them to this place because I don't know if they feel comfortable. Listen, they need to feel comfortable here. You are their neighbors. I pray that God would redeem your eyes. And if you look at someone and you're like, man, I don't know, then I pray that you would just begin to just pray. And say, God, I I admit, I cannot see them as my neighbor right now. I cannot encounter them. I cannot engage. Whatever that is. And just say, God, I need you to break my heart and redeem. Give me new eyesight. Because I've got old eyes. I've got bad eyes. And I want you to take out the cataracts. All the different stuff that you got going on. So that you can say this. No perfect people allowed. And I'm okay with that. Because that means I get to go too. Because for a long time, church has become about a place where we can clean up. And pretend to wear masks. Listen, we're going to be authentic. And be honest and say, listen, I'm Chris and I've got my stuff, but I'm on a journey. And I want you to join me. You as my neighbor, join me. And to see how God can radically transform not only this community at second, but around us. Listen, there's a few churches in this town, right? But I guarantee you when you leave this morning and you left this morning for church, there's plenty of people that do not have a church home. And they don't even know that they're allowed. I've had conversations with people this week. They don't even know that they're allowed because they haven't grown up in church. They have no idea that they can be allowed in this place. Take a moment and invite and ask and say, listen, our church isn't perfect. Pastor guy's crazy. He might yell at you. But you're welcome. We don't have it figured out, but you're welcome. We may burn the casserole every once in a while, but you're welcome. We want you to be our guest where no perfect people are allowed. Say it one more time. No perfect people allowed. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you, thank you. Because you know me. You know us. Father, remind us, no matter our age, no matter our biblical knowledge and wisdom, that, Father, we have not arrived. And that's not even the purpose of being a follower of Jesus. It's not about arrival or perfection. It's about growing in intimacy and relationship with you so that we can know you and you can transform us and transform our eyes. So, Father, we just this morning, we repent. 
of the spirit of arrival. We repent of our masks. We repent of a spirit of favoritism and of prejudgment. And Father, we just ask that you would give us your eyes. That as you came over the city of Jerusalem and you stood on a hill, you just began to weep. Because you knew that some of your neighbors were missing the message. That they were missing out on an opportunity to know you and you alone. They were pursuing jobs. They were pursuing money. They were pursuing relationships. They were pursuing everything else but you. And you were there, right there before them. And Father, so you wept over them. Father, I pray that we would weep over LaGrange. Father, maybe we need to go to the bluff and just stand there and look over the city and just weep or stand there until we can. Because if we can't weep over our city, then we need to get there. Father, for we truly we want to be a place where no perfect people are allowed and we are welcoming. Thank you that you showed us how to do that. May we model that in our daily life. As we walk the halls of the schools, as we go to work, as we drive around town, may we just begin to just see our neighbors and how we can meet their needs. For it's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.